is from Mark 16, especially verse 14. Mark 16, verse 14. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with the unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So far, the theme for this morning is unbelief. And with the help of the Lord, four thoughts. Unbelief is a sin. We read our text, unbelief and hardness of heart. Certainly, unbelief reprimanded. As you see the word upbraided in our text, and upbraided them. In the third place, unbelief forgiven. Because the Lord Jesus is visiting them and also has a mission for them and is calling them. And in the fourth place, unbelief today in all different forms today. Unbelief in the first place, unbelief is a sin. Secondly, unbelief reprimanded. Three, unbelief forgiven. And four, unbelief today. So, congregation and children, remember the Lord Jesus yet being in that upper room owned by John Mark. But the Lord Jesus met with his disciples and spoke that double peace be unto you. Remember? He showed the sign in his hands and feet and side. We have talked about that before. But Mark, the evangelist Mark has a detail that we did not find in the other Gospels. Namely, the 14th verse, right? He upbraided them. He said something about the unbelief. He talked about hardness of heart. So though I remind you that the Lord Jesus was also kind and careful with his disciples and pastoral, yet the Lord is also very honest with them. And Mark therefore records the Lord's disappointment. The Lord was grieving because his beloved disciples did not believe the women who told them that they had seen the Lord. And they did not believe the Apostle Peter, who had seen him also privately. We don't know the circumstances of that. And they did not believe the, the two men of Emmaus, Cleopas and his friend. Apparently there was no room. No room for the resurrection yet. They followed the Lord Jesus 
And yes, lovely. Oh, yeah, they loved it. But their minds are still darkened, and they did not understand it. For example, Romans 4. There was no light about that. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. They did not get it. Or 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. They did not have that abundant mercy. They didn't see it. They did not have that hope in their hearts. It was so dark and so closed. The things of the resurrection were too deep for them. And Jesus preaching about his life, about his suffering, about his death, that is over their head. One ear in, the other ear out, other ear out. How disappointing. Christ was speaking to them, but they did not hear them. His words were not interesting enough, not exciting. They ignored them. Or what a serious sin of the disciples. He upbraided them because of their unbelief. Unbelief. Their belief in the Bible is pistis. No, it says apistis. Like moral and amoral. Like millennium and amillennium. So this is not believing, but a-believing. Apistos. What a sin. It was something to be compared to the hardening of the heart. Many times the Lord Jesus spoke about that. He showed also at the grave of Lazarus that he could raise people from the dead. He showed his ability. He also showed that at the death of the daughter of Jairus and the young men of Nain. So the Lord Jesus gave them enough proof that he would rise from the dead. But he had that unbelievers in the way. It's a sin. Unbelief is called a white sin. A white sin. You know, white lies, right? Something for a good purpose. So some few unbelievers of white sin, they downplay it. They don't think it is that serious. They have lots of empathy, sympathy for doubters. They don't see it as a major problem. They don't see it as a sin per se. They see it maybe as a weakness or something that was not given yet. But the Lord Jesus rebuked them and said this is unbelief and this is hardening of the heart. Easily we feel sorry for them who cannot believe. 
and realize that he cannot force them and he can only pray for them. We also know that faith is a gift of God. And we just don't make a big deal of it. Unbelief. But unbelief in the Bible is disobedience. Disobedience in the Bible. Because the Lord wants his people, wants sinners to believe in him. And not believing is not obeying. Unbelief is even resisting. Like Stephen told the Pharisees, ye always resist the Holy Ghost, like your fathers also ye. So it is pushing back. So the Lord opening the door, and we pushing the door closed and trying to not enter. It is to resist it, to not let go. It is not complying with. It is refusing. And you know those texts like the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness comprehended not. They did not understand it. They did not receive it. They did not welcome it. So not welcoming the Lord, not welcoming the gospel is a sin. He came to his own. How painful. And his own received him not. No wonder that the Lord has chosen such firm words. Unbelief is hardness of the heart. Let me show from other Bible places what unbelief is like. I read in Romans 14, for whatsoever, for whatsoever is not of faith, is sin. Faith needs to be integrated in our life. Faith needs to be in the, at the bottom of our heart. Faith is something we need for anything, even for eating. And if something is without faith, without that trusting and depending and relying on the Lord, it is sin. It is hardness of heart. That's quite an expression for the disciples. We know that people by nature have a hard heart and that it does not want to break. And the Lord must break it. But now we read about God's children, about his disciples, about them he taught himself for some, for some years. And they had that hardness of heart, that refusing of the Lord. And the men of Emmaus heard that they were slow of heart. But this is even stronger. Heart of heart. Yes, they're God's people. But how more serious is it than with them that have no faith at all? Then he said unto them, O fools. So one of those words, right? Thou fools. No, unwise, it's so unwise to not believe. It's so dumb. It's so unreasonable. Thou fools, 
And yet, how much weakness sometimes the best Christians have. The best Christians, the most close to the Lord, can have times of unbelief. They can have times of hardness, of heart again. It might surprise them. At first, they didn't think that was ever possible. That it would be so hard and so unbelieving. But they find out who they still are. So don't be too surprised, child of the Lord. Don't be too surprised if that unbelief is so strong. It has so many doubts within. It is not right. It is sin. I'm not going to downplay it. And yet, the Lord knows. Hardness of heart. How much weakness. Unbelief is deep down questioning the word. Questioning the Law, questioning the gospel. Is it true? Do you believe that? Is it love? Unbelief is questioning God's willingness to save you. Questioning the gospel. Unbelief is being impatient. Not being able to wait. Unbelief is blindness for the greatest comfort. Unbelief makes our burdens even heavier. Unbelief considers God is so far away while he is so close. Unbelief refuses to look upon the serpent to look upon Jesus. Unbelief is hiding our faces from him and just look the other way. Unbelief is laughing at God. Like Sarah laughed, right? She heard in the tent that she would have a child next year. She laughed. Unbelief is stating that those are idle tales. And unbelief is tough. It is from the devil who is planting the seeds of unbelief. So unbelief is a heinous sin and did not begin with Adam's sin. Did Satan not make God a liar? Did Satan not want Adam to question the Lord? Oh, yes, we care for the lambs. We care for the little ones in faith. We care for them that cannot come so far as they would like to. We teach that not all God's people have equal assurance. That's right. And yet, we may not defend them. Although faith is a gift of God, we have to maintain that belief Unbelief dishonors God. It is a belief. And therefore, our second thought, 
unbelief reprimanded. You've seen that unbelief is hardness of heart. Eve with God's children let's now see what it does to Christ. How Christ responds to it. What the consequences are. In the first place, we have seen that the Lord is not pleased with it. Even not if there is a little faith. And certainly when they denied the Lord, like Peter did, he flatly denied that he knew the man. And do you re- remember how the Lord looked at Peter? He turned around and looked him in the face. And Peter must have seen something in the eyes of the Savior. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Because the Lord confronted him with looking at him. So so this morning, the Lord is looking his people in the face by so much unbelief. Am I not faithful? Have I ever forgotten you? Have I ever forsaken you? So maybe also today some need to weep and cry bitterly. We know so the example of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, right? He did not believe the angel and he could not talk for a few months. He became dumb, he became mute. And the Lord operated him. Operated him. That is quite the word. Operate. Do you remember the, the thief on the cross? He reviled the Lord Jesus. It was reviled. The same as operate. So it's a strong word. Accusing. Explaining and expressing God's deep disappointment that the Lord does not like this at all. So he upbraided them. Think of Moses. He was supposed to speak to the rock that water would gush out. But he hit it with his stick a couple of times. And the Lord had not said that to them. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. So Moses never entered into the promised land because he was too hasty. He was doing something extra. He could not wait. He started hitting the rock. And there was water coming out of there. 
and Lord has, has forgiven that unbelief, but it comes together with the darkness and that you could not enter into the promised land. It is grieving the Lord. It is angering the Lord. And Christ came and the doors were locked and as did he before and had to express his disappointment. He was reproaching them. He was reviling them. So let us not forget what we read in Hebrews 11. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Even in our prayers. If we pray and the faith is missing, it is impossible to please the Lord. He that cometh to God in prayer must believe that he is and exists and also is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So Christ accused his own disciples for the hardness of their hearts and their unbelief. Excuses don't help here. We cannot defend ourselves. Or do you? There's also an unbelief disguised as faith. Did you hear me? This is straight unbelief. Sometimes unbelief is clothed in a very pious jacket. It looks like assurance. It looks like faith. But it might look like faith and yet be unbelief. The Lord Jesus spoke about that quite often. We need to know what the true believing is. Many have not another gram of faith and are unbelievers, but they don't know it. They don't know it. They think that they go to heaven and that they have no unbelief and they have hardly any strength with them. And yet, so we need also examine our own hearts if we truly believe in him. So what is that believing? Let me just weave something in here. And also later in the next one. If one believes, what do we believe? We believe in God's perfect creation to begin with that the Lord has made all things so beautiful and so well. But we believe also that we have sinned and are by nature on the wrong road and that we are unbelievers. They begin to sink in and we begin to turn away from sin. And we begin to feel unworthy of God's mercy. Unworthy? Yes. That we have turned away from him. That we are, that we are all like sheep 
gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. But something is moving them. They are sinners and they are gone astray. They are unworthy of life. Something is moving them. We hand out the book of John Bunyan. Come and welcome to Jesus Christ. That's the whole book about believing and unbelief. If you have not started it yet, I would do that. And we read so clearly there that something needs to move not only to understand things that we need to understand that we need salvation in Christ, but something that moving us, leading us, a hunger, a thirst, a desire, a hole, an emptiness, a desire for salvation. And it's not only a drive and to be moved, it's also a going and to the Lord in prayer and seek him in the Bible and also finding him. Finding Christ in the Word so that Christ becomes someone real. Adoring him, following him, meeting with him. Examine your heart. Are you an unbeliever in disguise? There are unbelievers that know that they're unbelievers, and there are unbelievers that do not know. There are believers that know that they believe, and other believers that do not dare to say that they are believers. So there is a different type of unbelief. And this sin of unbelief needs to be confessed before there is mercy. You can admit all the sins if you don't admit this sin. That's really an obstacle. If you think I've sinned against all God's commandments, and you agree with that, but you are blind for the sin of unbelief, you're still pious. There's still someone who wants to do something. You still have the, the highest thought of self yet. So we need to confess the sin of unbelief that we did not want, that we are resisting, that we are unbelieving, that we are foolish. But then the third thought, Unbelief forgiven. I find it remarkable. The Lord Jesus was not very pleased with the unbelief of his disciples. And they could have been in darkness for a long time. But the Lord visited them even earlier than he had promised. He said, I would bring you to, I would meet you in Galilee. And he already met them in Jerusalem. Before that, he loved them already from eternity and knew what they would be like. He paid also for the unbelief. 
of all the patients. They were afraid in the storm, the lack of faith, and they had to feed the multitude. They were ignorant, slow of heart, hard of heart, unbelieving, grieving the master, and he is there for them. He comes unto them, and the doors are closed, and speaks the devil peace, right, if around. Peace be unto so there is yet forgiveness. And suppose now that the Lord would be soft on unbelief. If it did not matter that much to him, the message would be that the Lord did not really bond them to believe. If someone is not believing and the Lord says, well, whatever, maybe next time, maybe another time, maybe when the Lord gives it, just calm down, you're fine. There's no pressure, no urgency. But the Lord says, no, unbelief is a sin. And he expresses how serious he is about it. He, it grieves him. He desires to be trusted and to be dependent upon. And yet, this unbelief is something the Lord wants to forgive. And he is changing it. He is bringing the disciples to faith again. You know how? By rebuking them. Not by inviting them this time. By rebuking them. So the Lord could have said, I really invite you. I'm really kind. I'm really willing. This time the Lord says, no. You must. And if you shouldn't, if you don't, you know there are consequences. Right? So a parent can also take the soft approach and the consequential approach. So the Lord in our text, in order to make clear what he wants, he is upbraiding their unbelief and the hardness of heart. Yet, faith is a gift. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Oh, yes, it is a gift of God. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us to believe according to the working of his mighty power. See that the Lord speaks here about power. No, no. That's not true. He speaks about the greatness of his power. No. He speaks of the exceeding greatness of his power to make people believe in him. 
unbelief was forgiven. But somehow this unbelief helped to prove the resurrection. If the disciples and the women would have believed him right away, the Lord did not have to reveal himself and convince them. But now they were in unbelief. So the Lord convinced them. Well, if they are convinced of the resurrection of Jesus, then we can be convinced that he really rose from the dead. So again, be not surprised when you find doubts in your own hearts, people of God. Let us also not expect perfection in others. Some of a communicant and begins to struggle that he or she cannot attend anymore. Don't be too surprised. That is life also. Examine your heart. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me and try my reins and my heart. Unbelief. We read in Matthew 35, Afterwards came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily, I say unto you, I know you not. That is about the parable of the five wise and the five foolish virgins. Those five foolish virgins seem to have faith, right? They're a little late, but they came with oil. They came to the door. They came to the wedding. And there was unbelief. How do you know that? They look like believing. Well, the Lord said, I know you not. So some people say they believe, but the Lord does not know them. Well, he knows who they are, but they have no relationship. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobate. See? So there's a reason why the Lord spoke so many parables on this subject, on the almost Christian discovered subject. Christ discovered unbelief. Unbelief that looks like faith. But he paid for the unbelief of his people. And he draws them. He saves them. He works faith in heart. He doesn't only invite them. He doesn't only call them. He also brings it home. And he gives them faith. And also maintains the work of salvation in the hearts of his people. Almost done with the third thought. 
I have two closing texts to this point. 1 Peter 2. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. If someone believes in the Lord in the deepest true sense, then Christ is precious. And you can tell about it. And I also think of Mark 9, the father of that lunatic boy. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. She was struggling with faith and unbelief in the same heart. She said, Lord, I believe, but oh, that unbelief, help thou my unbelief. See, so it is not always only faith or only unbelief. So often in the hearts of God's people there is faith and unbelief in the same heart. I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Last thought. Unbelief today. I have seven types of unbelief today for you. In the first place, we think of the Gentiles. They have no Bible. They're Buddhist or Hindu or something else. All this, so much of that unbelief in this world. There's no faith at all, no even, not even an historical faith. Much false religion without the resurrected Jesus. There is nothing of the faith, of that faith in the heart. Romans 1. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Even the Gentiles, if they don't believe, they still have no excuse because they had nature. And in nature they so clear the eternal power and Godhead that should motivate them to seek that God, to find the Bible. Secondly, Jewish religion. You may think that they are so close, right? They have the Old Testament. But don't forget in the Orthodox Jewish religion, they have a completely different look on man and on sin and atonement and the mediator and forgiveness. It's such a deeply false religion. Oh, yes, they are beloved ones, a chosen people, there are promises for them, and we love the people. But their unbelief is really blunt. No faith in Jesus. Like Roman Catholics, they still believe in Jesus. 
even Muslims do. But Jewish people, Orthodox people don't. Really enemies of him. What an unbelief. Like in 1 Timothy 1, the Apostle Paul writes, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So in unbelief, before Paul's conversion, he was fighting against God. Or think of Matthew 13. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So in Nazareth, Lord Jesus could not do, could not do mighty works because of that unbelief. Of course, the Lord could. He could have chosen to bring the faith. Three, the indifferent churchgoer. They come to church and they really don't care. What an unbelief. The seed on the path and the birds pick it up. There's no impression of it in the heart. No believing in him. We think in the four places of the, of the deceived churchgoer. He believes he is saved, but he is in fact not. We talked about it before. And five, the almost Christian, who is at the verge, very close to the gate. Like King Agrippa. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You like him? Close, almost. Almost a Christian. But halting between two opinions. Hold an unbelief in a way. We think of the temporary Christian. Romans 11. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And our stand is by faith. Be not high-minded, but feel. So those branches in the tree are broken off because of unbelief. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So it is very essential, very urgent, to believe in that deep sense. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life, after all. And he that believeth not the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Oh, how shall we escape if he ignores such salvation? 
For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. To die in your sins, that is awful, right? To die in your sins, to die unforgiven. To be something, then you knock on the door. And a voice will say, I don't know you. Think about it. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into the rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Strive to enter in. And don't come with gifts. Don't bribe the Lord. But tell them how unworthy you are of life. Let me insert this. Suppose an angel will talk to you. May you die. An angel would say, do you, do you like, do you want, do you think you'll make it to heaven? And you say, yes. And you, he says, why? What, what, what would you say? Would you say, I am, I did my best. I haven't been to church my whole life. I have impressions. What do you come up with? And what if the angel would say, could the Lord let you be lost? Could the Lord pass you by? Does he have the right to do so? What would you say? Would you say, absolutely, the Lord has a right to pass you by? I don't deserve heaven at all. I deserve hell. No, you're not garbage. You are not refuge. You have a precious soul for eternity, but they don't deserve salvation. Tell the Lord. And seven, oh, keep in mind that God's children can have that lack of faith like the foolish Galatians who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? See, God's children, the disciples here, still that hardness and still that unbelief. They struggle with the rest of their lives. So they are going to close. Strive to enter in. And labor, let us labor, therefore, to enter into the rest lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Amen.